My name is Alan Smithson, your host for the XR for Business podcast, where we interview industry leaders who are either making or using immersive, virtual, augmented, and mixed reality solutions for business. From marketing and sales, to logistics and training, to design and remote collaboration, learn how the world's largest organizations are implementing an XR for Business strategy and why you should too. Today's guest is a good friend of mine, Bob Fine. In 2011, Bob launched the only printed magazine covering social media, The Social Media Monthly. In January 2014, he launched his second print title, The Startup Monthly. In May 2016, he launched what I love, vrvoice.co, a content vertical on all things virtual reality. In addition to his publishing endeavors, Bob continues to provide IT strategic planning consulting services to both private sector and nonprofit communities. Bob has over 10 years of additional work experience as a systems and sales engineer with various companies, including CMGI, Hughes Network, IOWave, and Raytheon, as well as two of his own consulting companies, Geoplan and The Cool Blue Company. I want to have a warm welcome. Thank you, Bob, for joining us on the show today. Well, Alan, thanks very much for having me. I'm honored to be one of your guests. Oh, it's my absolute pleasure and honor to have you on the show. I've met with you many times. We've actually shared some CES stories and we've been in a little glass booth in CES together. That was wonderful. You have your own podcast and news outlet talking about all things virtual reality, VR voice. That has been amazing and you've been a great influencer in the space. So thank you. Well, I appreciate that. So the first question I love to ask everybody is, what is the best VR, AR, XR experiences, or what are some of the best experiences that you've had so far? You know, I guess from my perspective, I'm a longtime video gamer. I just went to PAX East on Friday up in Boston. That was my first PAX event. And if you're not familiar with that, it's the, the Penny Arcade Conference. Huge, huge gaming conference. It makes E3 look minuscule. And I'm old enough where I started with an Atari 2600. And one of the reasons I started looking at VR again in 2016 was because of that video gaming interest. So when you ask me my best experiences right now, I'm going to kind of, I'm thinking about some of the early games that, that I played that gave me that whoa moment. As I'm thinking back to it now, this was actually on HTC Vive, first gen, was only were maybe three, four years ago now. And I was so impressed with the first generation of hardware that I was like, well, this is ready for prime time. The prices might still be a little bit high, but the quality of the gaming was there already. Just two off the top of my head is that the VR version of Fruit Ninja, which I've personally put about four or 500 people through because it's one of the best and fastest experiences I think you can give somebody that's never tried VR, but you can give to anybody, whether they're five years old or 95 years old. Slicing fruit in VR is magical. And the fact that they have the haptic feedback to the controllers, just, you're right. It is a magical experience. The other game that I was really getting addictive to was Space Pirates, which I think was is still just a brilliant early video game that just demonstrates the, the the quick and easy access to VR. It's kind of like the space invaders of VR, I think, in terms of one of those early games that caught fire and was easy to pick up and everybody loved. Space Pirate Trainer, is that what it is? I think, yeah, that's right. That's right. I've been traveling and it's been kind of nonstop for the last couple of months. I'm actually looking forward to today 
because my life gets to slow down a little bit. And I've been catching up a little bit on the news. We had a big conference earlier in March, and then right after I went to Laval Virtual in France. How was that? That was great. That was a great experience. Really, the largest VR event in France, maybe in Europe even. And what was also amazing, which wasn't clear to me, was that conference has been around for over 20 years. It was the 21st or 22nd year this year that they've been focusing on VR. So they've been having conferences about VR for 20 years before the DK1. That's incredible. These guys have been around for a while. It was just a very great event, great place to meet people, a little bit off the beaten path. It's about two and a half hours west of Paris, but it was a great, great experience. So because this is a podcast focused on the business applications and enterprise applications of this technology, what did you see at Laval that stood out as a must-have for businesses? Well, actually, what was interesting for me being at Laval is I put on, a for the first time, a, a VR and architecture event, actually over a year ago now, it was January 2018, and we had good participation, but it was hard for me to get a feel for where architecture uptake was from a VR perspective in the U.S. At Laval, at least from what I could see, especially from the number of exhibitors and the focus, architecture and design and enterprise planning is a huge business area within Europe right now. A lot of companies focusing on it, a lot of companies picking up on it. One of the things that was demoed there, there was a presentation from Microsoft about the new HoloLens 2. And Trimble announced and has an all-in-one headset based on the HoloLens for maintenance industry, managing cable lines or oil pipelines, but a lot of outdoor hard maintenance work. That yeah, the, it's called the XR10, right? Is that the one? I don't know if that's the name or not. Hard hat with the HoloLens 2 built in? I think they launched in the HoloLens 1, and then I think it's geared to come out in the HoloLens 2 right away. Yeah, it's pretty impressive. One of the announcements that HoloLens made at WMC this year was they announced that they're making a, a system where you can mod it. You can actually make modifications and they will support the modifications for businesses, which is pretty amazing because who knows how these technologies are going to be used. Maybe they need a hard hat. Maybe they need a scuba mask. Who knows? Being able to be open to those changes and foster them because if one user needs them, I'm sure tons of them will. I think Trimble is one of those first partnerships for them because it was integrated with a hard hat. So it's a hard hat with a HoloLens one piece. I could picture people out on the street with these in less than 12 months. One of the startups that we're helping, they're looking at taking CAD diagrams, blueprints, and then importing them into the real world. So you can stand in a construction site and see the blueprints overlaid on top in the exact position of where they should be. And the reason that's important is because there's about $30 billion lost every year in construction rework, and that's just in North America. It's a $30 billion in, in doing things twice, where if you can wear this headset, you can look up in the, in the rafters and say, okay, well, the HVAC system's off by a foot. You can annotate on it and send it back to the blueprints real time, and everybody has a, a real-time path of what's happening. That's a great segue to one of the presentations I'm remembering now from Laval, which was a, and I can't think of the startup's name off the top of my head, but they were a European company that focused on hospital architecture design. And they had an ROI presentation showing that by designing the operating room in VR first and 
having the client be able to review it multiple times, walk through it, figure out what's going to work and what's not going to work from an operations perspective within the OR. Where do the nurses stand? Where do objects get handed from nurse to doctor and so forth? And then being able to figure out beforehand those bottlenecks, because they definitely demonstrated that there was a huge amount of money spent on, they said on average, each time they did a physical build of a hospital or an OR, they had to do a refurb four or five times. And each of those refurbs costing like half a million dollars or something like that. If you look at it from that lens, even if you do one refurb that's half a million dollars, you can buy a lot of VR and AR headsets with that kind of money. <laughs> yeah. And with the use of doing it through VR, not necessarily perfecting the process or catching everything only from that, but they definitely reduced their costs by, I think they got down to maybe one or two revisions that were necessary instead of the average of four or five. I mean, that's a, you think about building something and then having to go back four or five times to reconfigure it because you didn't get it right the first time. Let's unpack that in a strictly number standpoint. Let's assume each revision's half a million dollars. They do four revisions, that's $2 million. Yeah. The VR headset and a full computer let's say you buy 10 of them, right? So at five grand a pop, maybe you need five grand, maybe you don't, but let's call it 5,000 a pop. So for $50,000, you just saved a million dollars. What is that, about a 20X return? Yeah. These are not trivial numbers. These are massive savings. By just thinking about how you can use this technology to prevent rework or eliminate one of the revisions, you just saved millions of dollars from something that is, is a marginal cost. I know that's one of the main reasons why the automotive industry is one of the very early big adopters and investors in the hardware and software is the amount of money that they can save on having to physically do a build of a design for iteration of a car or what have you. I mean, that's millions of dollars of time and labor that they can save if they can learn as much as they can through a VR simulation of the car. My previous guest today was Elizabeth Barron from Ford. In her 20 years or 30 years working in immersion within Ford, they came up with what they call the tenets of immersion. I'll read them out because I think it's worth repeating. How quickly and easily you can become immersed. So when you walk in and somebody puts a headset on you, how quickly do you go from standing outside the room to being fully immersed? Simulating any potential area, whether it be on a racetrack or in a design studio, being able to change the environment. Making sure the hardware is simple, unobtrusive, and acts naturally and feels naturally. So even reaching out with your hands, stuff like that. It has to be realistic. It has to be real-time. The next one is collaboration. And then their last one is full scale, being able to see the vehicle at full scale. Those were the tenants of immersion. And when you hit on automotive, I was like, wow, exactly. Continuing on your thought there, my specialization and focus is in the VR and healthcare sector. There's been quite a lot of studies done in the last couple of years and data developed where the time for immersion at this stage with the technology is under 60 seconds. It takes, depending on the particular application or whatever, but for the most part, people become acclimated in less than a minute in VR, feeling fully immersed in a different environment in a very, very short amount of time. You go from standing in a room to standing on the moon in 60 seconds or less. Right. Where you've been transported both emotionally and physically, you're having your out-of-body experience. It takes place that quickly. So because your specialty is in VR and healthcare, let's start talking about that. 
I've seen hundreds of articles, maybe thousands of articles now on how VR is being used, or VR and AR really, for everything from anatomy training right through to CT visualization and then surgical assist. What are some of the things that you've seen that healthcare professionals and students are using to leverage this technology to better their performance? Well, from my perspective, and one of the reasons I've decided to make this the area of our focus is for a number of reasons. One, working in the healthcare sector, at the end of the day, there's a betterment for people's health and wellness, and there's a social good aspect to working in that sector. Not that I'm saying in other sectors you can't find that, but it comes quickly with the healthcare sector. And what's really interesting is the amount of applications and development that's happening, not only at the practitioner level in terms of surgeons, nurses, clinicians, but also at the patient level in terms of mental rehabilitation or physical rehabilitation. Early stuff happening with helping to diagnose, but also whether treat is the right word at this point, but dealing with people that have Parkinson's or Alzheimer's, but some rehabilitation mechanisms to help lessen the effects and just help people have a better quality of life. But the other thing about healthcare, and I'm sure you're aware of this, and in Canada, it's, uh, well, maybe a little bit more simplified, but in the United States, it's a really, really complicated market. (laughs) And there's so many different aspects to it that have to be worked through to have a successful product. It's a different beast than other for-profit sectors. But that's one of the reasons why, and I, I can't remember if I shared this back at CES or not, but we've recently launched the International virtual reality and healthcare association, ivra.org. The website will be up later this week, actually, but we have over 30 organizations for the launch. And the focus is to help support the growth of the sector, support the companies involved, but also help figure out what mechanisms are needed to facilitate getting products and applications in the marketplace faster. But again, it varies depending on the type of application because some things require regulatory approval, some things don't, and how do those things get paid for by insurers and so forth. It's an interesting, complicated space to be in right now. Yeah, there's so much that can be done and also so many challenges to be overcome. But I think, as they say, where there's a will, there's a way. The upside potential of this technology is so vast and so important I believe is just going to become one of the other tools that physicians, surgeons, and nurses have in their disposal. And some of the amazing use cases that I've seen are not even in the surgical room. One of the things that I saw that was really wonderful was out of Sick Kids Toronto Hospital, where they took a 360 camera and they put it on a a gurney and they basically talked to the camera as if it was a patient and walked them down the hall through to the surgery and allowed kids to watch in VR what it would be like or what it will be like before their surgery. So they've already been down the hall. They've, they know what to expect. They're not nervous going into a room with all silver stainless steel furniture. They understand what's going to happen. And by decreasing their stress before they go in for surgery, it's actually increasing their outcomes. And I mean, that's just one of a million use cases that I've and seen. And not just for children, but for adults as well. You're going to go under a bypass or have some kind of you know serious surgery. It, it is an opportunity for the physician to walk you through what they're going to do. And it does lessen your apprehensiveness and your stress. And stress is a significant physical and mental negative effect on your health and well-being. And where you can decrease that in any situation is a benefit. 
decreasing stress is definitely a benefit. But one of the other things that I keep seeing is the ability for virtual reality to decrease the amount of opioid usage, sometimes upwards as high as 25% in very painful procedures. We're able to give distraction therapy using VR. And I have a daughter, she's 10, and she is literally terrified of needles. Like she is the kid that you do not want in a hospital at all. They have to chase her down the hall. So this group created a VR experience where you're wearing the VR headset and it's this magical fairy and there's a whole story. And then they give you the needle before you even know what happened. And I think this is really, really some amazing technology. So you've got preparation for surgery. You've got distraction therapies to decrease opioid usage. You've got physicians using it for pre-visualization and pre-seeing what a surgery. You've got pharmaceutical companies teaching people with it. Like It's unlimited what this is going to bring to medicine. The issue within healthcare and part of the, I won't say problem, but impediment is anecdotal evidence is not always enough. Where a lot of these applications are showing early successes for the larger parts of the industry to adopt it, they want to see clinical data. And clinical data takes time, which is all good and necessary. It's trying to figure out how to expedite those clinical trials and bring the data to the forefront faster. That's one of the goals with the association. If I can take us in a slightly different direction, during our prep beforehand, you were talking about where are the opportunities? And something that I've been sharing in my presentations the last couple months is, and actually I just, I read another statistic just from an article today that made me think about it again. I had the chance to attend a conference in Washington in December called the Longevity Conference. And it's all about the aging community, not just elderly, but older working people. And AARP, which is the largest, I think the largest nonprofit in the United States with 50 million members, the uh, American Association of Retired Persons, shared a statistic which was very sobering, which is in about 10 or 15 years, the majority of the population in the United States will be of the age 50 and over. That will be the largest part of the population. Wow. One of the other sobering statistics that I just read from an article today that I, and I'm trying to remember, no, if it was a survey from MetLife, noted that something like a 15% increase of people having to postpone their retirement because of finances. Wow, that's an incredible number. Holy moly. So what all this means, though, is that all of us, the vast majority of us, as we get older, will not be retiring at 65. I don't personally believe in the notion of retirement anyway, but freedom 55 was a lie. But many of us are going to have to work just to pay bills and cover health insurance and all these things until our 70s and maybe even 80s. But this is what I believe is the billion dollar opportunity that the VR industry is missing right now. Training in VR is one of the big applications and opportunities. And that's where a lot of investment is happening. But it's happening more from a traditional, let's train our existing staff, let's improve how we onboard people, let's improve skill sets. Where the opportunity is with VR, and there's money for this, is how do we retrain an aging population, people that are going into their second, maybe even third careers, how do we retrain our workforce to be efficient? at least here in the United States, retraining has not really been all that successful. There's lots of money invested in it. The government spent millions and billions of dollars on it at different levels, but it hasn't really achieved the outcomes that people have been wanting. 
and there's a huge opportunity for VR companies to try to work with both local and state province governments. And right now, what I think we need is a successful pilot where there's a retraining opportunity for a particular field or company where there are job opportunities and needs, and to demonstrate that VR can be a successful tool in attaining that retraining. Because again, and from the studies that are out there, retention in VR is much, much higher than in other forms of traditional learning. Absolutely. One of the stats that came out of my conversation with the president of HTC, Alvin Wang Graylin, they did a quick study with some students and they saw a six times increase in the concentration levels of those students. And another study they did with soccer stars, they were young students that are the top tier soccer players. When they enlisted VR training as part of their training, they did two teams with and two teams without. The teams without had a 5% increase and the teams with VR training had a 36% increase in their performance. So training is the magical use case for virtual and augmented reality. And I think right across any enterprise that is going to be more and more applicable. I got to tell you, 2019 is turning out to be an extremely exciting year from a hardware perspective. The number of announcements that have been coming out in the last four to six weeks from Mobile World Congress in Barcelona and the Game Developers Conference the other week in San Fran, there's a lot of products coming out, which is good for the marketplace because it'll bring prices down over time. But there's a lot of interesting stuff happening. I finally, finally, after a year and a half, I got to try out the Magic Leap in Laval. And it was a good experience. It's an interesting first-gen product. What did you try? What did I try in terms of the application? Yeah. It was kind of a model simulator. You could take a look at a car engine and spin it around in 360, zoom in and out and look at it from different perspectives. But the ability to do that with other people in it at the same time, so they had an add-on where a second person or third person could look at it through a tablet and have the same perspective from a different angle while one person in a headset. You're going to see a lot more of that. Microsoft with their HoloLens 2, they've actually moved their HoloLens from the devices division of the company to Azure, which is their cloud computing. And what they've realized is that these devices don't really work without edge computing. We need to be able to push information back and forth from these devices to the cloud and doing it real time collaboratively is really going to be a magical scenario. Well, I'm starting to see something interesting happen. And to be very honest with you, I'm thinking this through as I'm talking about it. Personally, I have some concerns about the cost of the HoloLens and the Magic Leap devices at this time. Not that I don't think they're worth the amount of money that they're being asked. I'm just worried about from a market penetration perspective. But as I've been thinking about this, and something I think just dawned on me just now is I'm seeing a very strong parallel with what happened with the early PC market and the early gaming market in the early mid 80s. If you think about console gaming, and we're going back to now the Atari 2600 that I started with and in television and ColecoVision, I'm sure you remember all these. The first Nintendo. Burger Time. Burger Time. Awesome game. One of my favorites. These were aimed at families and gamers and households, and they were reasonably affordable units, two, $300. That was something people could afford for Christmas. And it influenced an entire generation, including me, in terms of what I became interested in and what I wanted to work in. 
And I see that right now, Oculus is filling that void. Well, not just Oculus and PlayStation with the PSVR. And very soon, Valve is coming out with their own headset next month. So there is this part of the, the VR sector that I'm now seeing focused on the end user consumer gamer. And then there's this whole other part of the industry, which includes HTC and Microsoft and Magic Leap, which is focused on the enterprise. Now I'm alluding to the $2,000 PC from the mid 80s, which was high, high end, what you needed in your workplace. And maybe a consumer could afford that, maybe they couldn't. Then there was a convergence that happened over the next 10 years where both the gaming hardware and the PCs kind of came into a middle pricing range between that $500 to $1,500 price range. I guess I'm starting to see a similar parallel track in terms of the VR industry today to what happened with PCs and gaming consoles 30 years ago. I think we're at $3,500. It seems like, wow, nobody will ever buy that. But for businesses and enterprise, that's a drop in the bucket. It's literally nothing if, if you're saving millions of dollars. Right. Going back to our earlier examples, if you're investing 50000 in hardware and able to save half a million your first time out, it's a no-brainer. Yeah. One of the big things that came out of HoloLens 2's announcements this year was they're making things available right out of the box. Whether you're in design, you can upload your SketchUps, you can upload your BIM files, your CAD models. Whatever it is you're working on, they have programs right out of the box that bring value. Whereas the HoloLens 1, it was like, here's a HoloLens and here's a development kit that is kind of half-baked, but you know, you can guess and try some things. I think version 2 is going to be that moment where enterprises buy this device and are able to generate value from it immediately. I think that is the game changer. I think where maybe there's a little struggle is the enterprise figuring out what they do with it from day one. I don't think it's clear for companies to figure out, okay, we, we know that we can get value out of this, but we're not quite sure how to do that. We don't have the Lotus 123 program that is the killer app just yet, at least for enterprise, that is a must-have out of the box for everybody. I think, unfortunately, they're, they're having to adjust it to their particular use case and need, and maybe some of that's out of the box. It takes a little bit of figuring out, though. Yeah. And I, I mean, there's legacy issues and stuff, but what I'm seeing in the market is that this stuff's just moving really, really fast. The fact that it's moving this fast is really encouraging. It's also scary because you invest in some technology and then all of a sudden that's obsolete. But I think you can future-proof your content strategies as you develop these things, especially in VR training, for example. If you start to use 8K cameras instead of 4K, then you're creating content that's above and beyond what the current headsets are capable of, but they'll catch up and your content will be future-proof. Yeah, definitely. So let me ask you, Bob, what is one of the most impressive business use cases of XR technologies that you've seen? Uh, now you're putting me on the spot. That's the point. One of the best use cases. Well, I think the killer app is training right now. If we think about education in the United States at the high school, middle school level, we are struggling. It's no surprise and there's no hidden facts that the United States is not number one in reading or math. I don't even think we're in the top 10 necessarily. We are struggling keeping their focus. VR is a winning scenario for this right now. And you even mentioned a couple examples where the retention and increased performance is a five, six time improvement. 
that's the biggest opportunity right now. It's getting it in the hands of people and teachers and practitioners. Talking on that point, Merge VR, which is an AR hardware software platform, has completely taken off in the education market. They completely changed their business model. In the beginning, they were focused a little bit more on consumer and such, but because they have actually a very cost-effective entry-level product that students and teachers and schools can afford right now, they are getting insane uptake and teachers are able to teach content and engage students in a much more captivating way and they're seeing great results with it. The Merge guys, I traveled to China with them and the Merge Cube is, it's so elegant. It's a three inch by three inch foam cube with some markers on the side. And if you point your phone at it, it comes to life and it can be everything from a fish chasing some sushi to a human heart or a skull in your hand. If you put it into Google Cardboard mode where you put the phone into a viewer, this cube comes to life in your hands and they've done it really elegantly. So they've let people program for it and we've made some retail things for it, but it's a beautiful, elegant solution, really simple. You just mentioned Google Cardboard and actually something I was looking at earlier today. The Nintendo, is it Labo, Labo VR kit is coming out in two weeks. And even though this is not necessarily Oculus Rift or HTC quality, it's a brilliant move by Nintendo. And it's going to be a mass adoption and introduction of VR to entire generation in the next 18 to 24 months. The Switch has taken off as a huge, huge success as a console. It's going to be a very fast introduction, and people will get familiar with VR much, much more over the next 12, 18 months. I agree. I think it's going to be a race to the top. A stat that I like to share with people is that over the next 12 months, we're going to see 2 billion smartphone devices that have AR enabled in them. And over the next five years or six years between now and 2025, there's going to be a trillion dollars in value created through virtual augmented and mixed reality. The market cap is going to be massive. It's a matter of harnessing that value for your company. When did you go to China? In June last year. Okay. And what did you take away from China? A couple of things. The Chinese market is much bigger than the American market. They just have so many more people. They have 300 million people, the entire population of the U.S. in the middle to upper middle class. In America, you've got 300 million people. You've got a few people at the very top, you know, some middle class, and then people at the bottom. China's really becoming a new world superpower. I guess I you can't really say new, but they're really dominating and they have their own agenda and they're working really hard. And 99% of the VR headsets in the world are made in China. You see opportunity now for American and Canadian companies in VR and AR in China? Uh, I really do. I think there's going to be some great opportunities in retail. I know Alibaba just acquired an Israeli company last week. I saw that. Yeah. I think there's going to be opportunities in retail and education. Vive is doing some really amazing things in education and bringing multiple headsets to classrooms. When you've got like 300 people all wearing a headset in a classroom, that's pretty impressive. And one of the things that HTC just announced at their Vive conference in China, they have a new headset coming out, the Vive Focus Plus, which has six degrees of freedom, meaning you can look up, down, left, and right, and then move in those directions. It's got multimodal VR, so you're able to plug it into a console and see the screen from the console. So you could play your PlayStation games in VR on a huge imax size screen. The other thing that they've got coming is eye tracking for their Vive. The other thing that I thought was really cool, and I, I've never seen it, but I, I can't wait to try it, is 
They've created a multi-user system using the Vive Focus where they can have up to 40 devices, non-tethered, so no backpacks, nothing. You just put on the headset and go with four trackers that covers 900,000 square feet, which is four football fields. Wow. Free roam VR for up to 40 people in a 900,000 square foot size space. That's interesting. Right? <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> this is big. So I think there's going to be some big, big things coming from these standalone headsets. Fantastic. So Bob, one last question for you. What do you see for the future of virtual augmented mixed reality or XR as it pertains to business? Well, I think just based on most of our discussion, it's the next computing platform. Again, I think why you and I have been interested in it for a very early perspective. We went from VAX VMS systems in the 70s, 80s to... The, the PC generation to mobile, and now we are seeing AR and VR, which is going to be integrated in so many ways that people can't even imagine right now. AR is going to take a form where it's going to impact every piece of our business and daily lives. You're going to see AR integrated into windows, the screen of your windshield of your car, your glasses in whatever version that takes. And we're going to have this new access to information that we never had before. It's going to be a platform that replaces, complements our existing life of PCs and iPads and phones. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And we're starting to see it. And 2019 is becoming a turning point in a hardware perspective. It's just more important for people to get up to speed now instead of playing catch up three or four years from now. And if you want to be ahead of the curve and helping your company at least start thinking ahead for next year or the year after, now is the time to start understanding the platforms, the marketplace, the opportunities, and maybe starting small. Find a small win from an application perspective and then propose something larger. I think that is very sage advice. And on that note, I want to say a huge thank you for joining me on the XR for Business podcast. Alan, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. I'm glad to see you doing this. I think it's extremely important for the enterprise. You're definitely filling a void and you're a leading voice in the space. Well, thank you very much. Thank you, everybody, for listening. This has been the XR for Business podcast with your host, Alan Smithson. This podcast was another amazing example of how XR technologies are revolutionizing businesses across every industry. You can learn more about Bob and VR Voice by visiting vrvoice.co. Thanks again, Bob. I really appreciate you joining me. Thank you. Being an influencer on LinkedIn in the XR field uh, really has opened up an opportunity for us to not only understand what corporations are looking for in virtual augmented mixed reality and artificial intelligence, but also from the aspect of the startup studios, developers, and enthusiasts out there and what they need. So what we decided to do after getting hundreds and hundreds of messages is to open up XR Ignite to the entire XR community of startups, studios, individuals, passionate people, and really to build a new community that brings together everybody who's passionate about this technology for a low cost and allow them to contribute, to learn, and to get better across the whole industry. That is really the reason why we started XR Ignite, to hyper-accelerate 
the XR for business industry, business and education. And one of the things that we just keep noticing is that there's so many resources out there. There's the VRAR Association, which we're partners with. There are you know reports coming out daily, but there's no one source where people can come together and start just having conversations around how to get better in this industry. And that's why we started XR Ignite. I would encourage anybody who's listening to this podcast, if you're in the corporate side, if you're a startup, if you're an individual, if you're an enthusiast, sign up today at xrignite.com and you'll be getting access to new reports, investor lists, media lists, exclusive content, interviews with our mentors. We have over 56 mentors. And if you're a startup and you pay an annual fee, you'll actually have the opportunity to book a one-on-one, one-hour call with one of the mentors. What we're doing with that is we're actually recording those sessions, we're transcribing them, taking out any personal information, and we're making those transcripts available to all members. So I think XR Ignite is going to drive a lot of value for anybody in this industry who's looking to up their game and also for corporates who want a real insight as to what technology is coming out. So I would encourage everybody to sign up at xrignite.com and I really look forward to driving value, executing on our mission to hyper-accelerate XR for business and education.